All right, everybody. Hello, my name is Ryan. This is High Carb Generator. Today I have uh, Peter Rogers, MD, with me. I've watched his uh, channel quite a bit. I saw that he was on, you were on um, Chef AJ, right? And I know a lot of you have uh, asked me to interview him. So here we are. At the end of the interview, I'll do all the links and everything. We'll talk about that at the end of the interview. But anyway, welcome to the channel. Thanks. So I wanted to, I start off every interview and I ask you, how did you get started in the whole plant-based or vegan, whatever you want to call it, uh, way of life? Well, I was a very sort of intense, gung-ho, straight-down-the-pike conventional medicine guy. Um, I graduated first of my medical school class. I did a fellowship in vascular intervention at Harvard. And, you know, I was right down the pike. And what happened was in my mid-30s, I got fat. And I couldn't believe it. How could this happen to me? When I was in med school, I was like the best student in the whole United States in biochemistry. And I'm like, here I am. I'm fat. My father had coronary artery disease. My mom had cancer that was getting worse. And I'm like, you know what? I'm supposed to be this great doctor. How come I'm fat? Both my parents are sick. You know, either conventional medicine can't do that much or I'm missing something. And so I started to, you know, change. I started to try to figure out what was going on. At first, I just said, everybody knows exercise more and eat less. Not a big deal. I'll just lose the weight. I'll be fine. But I couldn't do it after three years. I lose some, gain it back. And then I and I, my family was mocking me, you know, oh, you're fat, you're going to be diabetic, you're going to be impotent, you know, and my wife's like, oh, my life will be easier. And it was kind of like a big joke in the family. Yeah. And um, so I said, you know, I got to figure this out. So I started to just read intensely on the subject. And, um, you know, my mom died. And I was real sad about that because I was closest to my mom of anybody in the whole world. And sort of at the time, I just sort of figured, well, there's nothing you could do. You send them to you send the cancer patient to the cancer doctor. You yeah. send the heart patient to the cardiologist, and each specialist does its own thing. They're not related. But then as I read more and more, I started to see the connections between all the different diseases, and there tends to be a common underlying mechanism for most of these chronic diseases. The, along the way, there's some other doctors that talk about this. Have you heard of, like, uh, Dr. McDougall or Barnard or... Um... Yeah, yeah, I, I know of all those guys. And I think McDougall's the best in the world. I think McDougall gives people a coherent rationale. He tells them, eat starches. And that makes sense because in your stomach, starches are low caloric density. So it takes, first of all, they satisfy hunger with a relatively few number of calories. Then they go into small bowel and it takes time to peel the fiber off before they're absorbed. So you get this steady, slow increase in blood glucose level for a prolonged amount of time. You basically satisfy your hunger with the fewest number of calories. So I think starch are the great fuel for humans. Um, I like fruit, but fruit's more complex. It's more expensive. It's less available. Um, it's a, some of the modern ones are bred to be extra sweet, which can cause problems with one's teeth, that sort of thing. But I do think potentially, like if you lived in Hawaii or something or a tropical area, you might be able to eat tons of fruit every day. But I think for most people, starch is the way to go as the dominant calorie source because it's cheap. It has long storage um, and it's great for satisfying hunger. All right. Perfect. Um I saw you did a video on Walter Kempner. What is, what is your thought on the uh, Walter Kempner diet? And would you ever consider putting somebody on it? Yeah, I do think Kempner had incredible results. I read through his scientific papers. They're available for free at McDougal's site. You can look into Kempner's research and stuff. Um, so what did he basically do? 
he had a, a fat black lady and he told her it was in the, sometime in the summer or something. He had to go. He said, look, I can't see you right now, but just eat only rice for two weeks and come back. She came back two months later and she had lost tons of weight and all her numbers had improved, like her kidney function and whatnot, her blood pressure. So he's like, wow, this really works. And you look at all these Asian people, you know, a billion out of a billion, they're all skinny with virtually no diabetes, hypertension or autoimmune disease. And then you look more closely at rice, it has only 1% fat. The lower the total percentage of calories from fat, the skinnier the population is. So they're all skinny. I lived in California for about four years, and I never saw a fat, you know, Asian person. Uh, so that was impressive. You look at all the extras in the Bruce Lee movie, they're all skinny, except for Bolo, he's on steroids, you know? Yeah. Um. So anyways, that was good. And then I think was he felt the protein composition of rice was such that it was the most adequate for his patients. He didn't need to supplement it. And he also dramatically lowered their sodium. He got some patients down to around 100 milligrams per day, which is yeah, incredibly that. low. That's actually a little bit dangerous for some people. And that that's artificially low. Uh, but if you're just eating a regular diet, it's impossible to be too low in, in sodium. You, that won't be a problem. So I think, and nowadays the issue too with rice is the whole arsenic thing. Um, so don't get me wrong. There's a lot more arsenic in chicken than there is in rice, but you got to be a little bit careful. I would recommend getting organic rice and buying it from places where they didn't use uh arsenic type pesticides in the soil which means avoiding southeastern united states for rice yeah i've i've actually ordered it from japan it's like the best tasting rice i've ever had in my life um you being irish and i've i've done a lot of research on the the former irish diet of you know men eating up to you know, 18 pounds of potatoes a day i've seen and women eating up to 13 pounds of potatoes a day do you think that that is what kept them so you know virile and and populating so much, or do you just think that was is kind of coincidence? Well, there's some great things about rice. There's great things about potatoes. It's like a complete food. It grows out of the ground. It sucks up all the nutrients from the ground. It has everything. You could put a person in a metabolic ward and they only eat potatoes for six months and and water, and they'll come out of there feeling better than ever. Um, it also has only one percent of its calories from fat, so it makes people thin. I think a big part of why the Irish liked it was it could grow in difficult, you know, weather conditions and real small plot. I forget the exact amount, but it was something like one acre of land growing potatoes could feed a family of five, you know, for the entire year. So yeah. it also has been, I don't know exactly how they did it, but they claim it's the most hunger satisfying food. You can't just eat a potato real fast. You have to take a little time to eat them and it just fills you up, gives you all the nutrients you want. It's relatively pleasant. You could put other things on it. I usually just eat them plain, but you know, I eat them with the skins too. But and I boil them, um, so it's real easy. Throw them in. Make sure they boil for a half hour. You can stick them with a fork. They're soft, then you could eat them. Uh, so I think they're super healthy, and I think they taste good. I like them. I eat them all the time. I eat them just about every day. Okay. Um, and on the potato line, uh, I don't know if you heard of him, Hennedy. I think his name was. He was a doctor in Denmark during World War II. And a bunch of other doctors that did uh, potato studies, every single one of them added a lot of fat to the uh, to the diet, and everybody still lost weight. Now I'm trying to figure out why that would be. Do you have any idea what might still allow people to lose weight like crazy and uh, still have, like the Khan study, for example, had 1,900 calories a day just coming from fat, and those uh, they still lost weight. Yeah, but I, I would say you know I, I recommend minimizing dietary fat. I think anything positive here about fat, almost always, it's not true. Uh, I, I spent a long time reading about fat. I think it's very, very overrated. Saturated fat in particular pretty quickly pushes you into insulin resistance and diabetes, and it decreases blood flow. It decreases uh, the endothelial glycocalyx. It's bad. Omega-6s are bad. 
because they predispose to lipid peroxidation. And most Americans are iron overloaded. And that's simultaneously that combination of iron overload with lipid peroxidation. It can lead to something called ferroptosis. It's, it's really bad for cells. And then people say, well, omega-3s are the good fats. I don't believe that either. Because I think if you eat excessive omega-3s as a supplement, number one, your body doesn't need that much. Number two, they also undergo lipid peroxidation. They're polyunsaturated fatty acid. And they also cause immunocompromise. In the animal studies, they get increased metastatic disease. So I think it's all BS, quite frankly. I think there's no such thing as good fat. And, and the so-called place to get your fat from, I believe, is from eating fiber. When you eat fiber, it goes to your, your colon, and that's where all the bacteria are. They convert it to short-chain fatty acids. Yeah. You know, There's a two-carbon acetates and three-carbon propionates. Those go to the liver, and the body makes them into whatever it needs. The four-carbon butyrates maintain the gut lining, the enterocytes. And so what I'm saying is I call that the only good fat, the secret fat, so to speak, because the liver takes those building blocks and makes them into whatever it wants. And there's enough omega-3s, omega-6s, and just plant foods. So this idea of eating flax, um, I personally think it's stupid, okay? I don't think you need to do it. I think it's all just one more thing that gets hyped up. There's a lot of money. Any billion-dollar food, kind of like that old uh, Churchill term, gets a bodyguard of lives around it. Oh, it's great for this. It's great for this. It's all BS. Yeah. You don't need to eat that. I don't think our ancestors from a 1,000 years ago went around supplementing. Okay. That brings me to another thing. Now, I don't want to, you know, I'm not bringing heat to anybody, but that Brooke, Dr. Brooke Goldner is putting these people, everybody on this lettuce and flaxseed thing and wondering, you know, she's basically recreated the keto diet, but everybody's losing weight off this thing and everybody's, you know, singing high praises about her. What do you think about the, the her whole? I don't want to get into a fuss with another doctor. Okay. All I can say is, the other thing you have to look at is estrogens. Okay. Okay. I'm very macho and I like being a man. I'm hyper masculine. Okay. I don't want to be eating anything but estrogen in it. Soy is like thousands of times more estrogen than other foods. And flax is way more thousands of times. I don't know exact thousands of times, but it's, I think it's like 10 times more estrogenic than soy. I mean, I think it's insane. It's like, you know, instant IQ test. You want to sterilize yourself? I have zero interest in that stuff. Okay. Well, speaking of uh, testosterone, uh, I, I did an interview with uh, Georgie Dinkov. Uh, he worked with uh, Ray Pete and all them. And uh, he, he showed me a study about uh, people who doubled their uh, sugar intake, uh, in, uh, doubled their, their testosterone. So I did it. I added a pound of sugar a day to my diet for about a month and my testosterone literally doubled in an amount of time. What do you, what do you think would cause something like that? Well, I don't know the answer to that. And what type of sugar did you have? Just table sugar? The study that he was citing used uh, candy, uh, but I didn't want to do that much candy, so I just added table sugar to it. Uh, to, okay, to, just simple you know, white sugar? Thing. Yeah. You know where it came from? Um, Like, did it come uh, from corn or from sugar beets? I don't know. No, it was, it was cane sugar. Cane sugar, yeah. yeah. Cane sugar, I'm going to guess is better. I don't know for sure. And I've also, I'm familiar with Durian Ryder, how he talks about sugar is the best supplement for energy. And I don't really know the answer for sure. I would watch out for sugar beets. And the reason I ask that is because I've read that they're pretty routinely GMO nowadays. And when something's GMO, you don't really know what its DNA, RNA effects are. Plus, you don't know if it's been sprayed with glyphosate, which is toxic. Okay. It's an endocrine disrupting chemical. Yeah. Plus it does a whole bunch of other bad things. So I would definitely avoid that. But um sugar itself is like pure energy and kempner used to give that to people 
Yeah. So if you could get pure sugar that's not GMO, that's not sprayed with you know these toxic herbicides, that might be an energy booster. I probably wouldn't get in the habit of it. I'd be worried about rebound hypoglycemia. If your blood glucose comes up too fast, the pancreas sort of overcompensates. It tends to do that and drive it down fast. And then you get this lousy malaise feeling when your sugar comes down too fast. So I'd be cautious about that. But before a workout, I would see how you feel, you know? Um, like if you're lifting weights, push for doing a personal, you know, personal best that day and see if it energizes you. Because I'll drink beet juice, organic beet juice, before okay. my personal best workout, you know, once every three, four months, I'll do that. And it definitely gives me more energy. I, I've done it because I've tested it out a bunch of times. Also, before I have to give a long lecture, I found that I'll guzzle down 32 ounces of beet juice, chase it with 16 ounces of water, and uh, I have optimal energy for, for doing something under that circumstance. Uh, what The reason Kempner gave people pure sugar was he wanted to avoid any nitrogen. His first set of patients, he first started out with kidney failure patients. The main okay. job at a kidney, about 75% of its work, is to excrete nitrogen. So he wanted to give them adequate calories, but minimize the work of the kidneys to protect the kidneys. There was no dialysis back in those days, you know, starting back around 1940. So that was his rationale. Later on, he found that it worked also for his hypertension patients. And I think the two big things that drive up hypertension are fat and salt. Sodium is a vasoconstrictor. Uh, the fat just makes the blood thicker, raises blood viscosity. So you got to pump higher pressure to pump a thick solution through the arteries. The main job is to get blood to the brain. Um, and then the other thing, too, is plants are where you get potassium and magnesium. Those are both vasodilators. So if you're eating the typical processed food, meat diet and oils, then you're deficient in the things you need, potassium and uh, magnesium vasodilator. So I think that's how he had incredible results. He treated about 20,000 patients and he had like the best results of anybody in the world by far. And he presented them and he, like I said, he filed thousands of patients. And then what happened is they they kind of got him in trouble for some, apparently having an affair with a patient or something. Yeah. I don't even know how true it was. That was what was said. Yep. But I actually think what happens, what I've sort of seen in medicine is that basically conventional medicine makes money selling drugs. Okay. That's where it's at. And taking care of chronic patients who buy a drug every day. So it's like milking them like a cow. You know, it's pretty routine. The hypertensive patients on three drugs. Uh, they're on drugs for their high cholesterol, their high triglycerides. And it's pretty routine. Patients are on 10 or more drugs. And so you basically take their money away every day. They slowly deteriorate. Then you operate on them. Then they die, you know, bankrupt. That's the usual way in American ages. Yeah, basically. I mean, this that makes a lot of sense. What we're saying about the GMO, though, because the reason I had to stop doing it is my gut was killing me. And I wonder if I would have used organic cane sugar, it would have been uh, a different result from that from the sugar because it was incredible you know i lost uh, a lot of weight doing it too but i wonder i wonder if the gmo had something to do with that yeah i don't know it might also be you might lower your insulin resistance because it doesn't take much insulin to push sugar into your into your tissues versus when you got fat fat's the main thing that raises insulin resistance so it's going to drive up your insulin the higher your insulin is, the more you're going to activate these secondary pathways called mTOR, mammalian target rapamycin, which is basically like a building contractor. It wants to build the building, which means tell the cell to grow or replicate. It can only do that when it has all the nutrients available. And basically, the rate limiting step tends to be things like leucine, which is an amino acid much more common in meat. Um, and then also the fat itself causing insulin resistance. When there's elevated insulin, that causes increase in mTOR as well. So basically, what am I saying is, this is like what happens to a lot of diabetic patients. The more they give them things that increase insulin secretion, the fatter they get. 
So, mm-hmm. and so what I'm basically saying is because the sugar didn't elevate your insulin levels, you didn't get secondary elevation of mTOR, and therefore you didn't. It helped you to lose weight. Yeah, yeah. It was it was it was quite amazing. Uh, you know, you're speaking about diabetes. Um, my my dad's pre-diabetic, and I, I keep telling him I say they're trying to do this basically keto uh, life. No, he's and, fucking up. I know. I keep it. telling him they won't listen to me. Uh, maybe I'll show him a clip from this. What What would you tell somebody who is pre-diabetic? I tell them, don't be stupid. Look at epidemiology. A billion out of a billion rice-eating Asians, they're all skinny with no diabetes, okay? Um, and all these diseases go together. Impotence, coronary artery disease, high blood pressure, and diabetes. They're all kind of the same thing, okay? And people who eat low-fat plants, they don't get those diseases. You know, you just don't get those diseases. And the reason is, what causes insulin resistance? The primary thing is fat. Where does fat come from? It comes from two main things. It comes from meat and it comes from oils. So you should avoid all meat, avoid all oils. Okay, secondary, there's a couple plant foods that are fat, not too many, you know, things like avocados, flax, soy. I would avoid those things. But, you know, all the almost everything else, you can eat it. Yeah. And what do you, what do you say is too high fat? Like what what is what is your percent or grams a, a day? Like how how much is too much? Well, I don't actually countermeasure anything, but the highest fat thing I would ever eat would be something like oatmeal. Oatmeal is about fifteen percent fat. Same thing with quinoa; they're both in that ballpark. Uh, the fattest bean, for example, is probably is soy. But the fattest bean that I would be I would never eat soy anything. But the fattest bean I would eat would be like garbanzos; they're about thirteen percent fat. Okay. All right. And I wanted to actually talk about, I wanted to touch on uh, supplements here, uh, especially uh, years ago. I was, uh, well, actually oh, two years actually, ago. Actually, let me, excuse me. Can I say one more thing for your dad? Oh, yeah. yeah, go yeah, for, for it. Yeah, for your dad. Rice, white rice is 1% fat. Regular potatoes, 1% fat. Sweet potatoes, 1% fat. So he should eat those things. The lower the fat, the better insulin resistance, the lower the insulin resistance. So that'll help him. And he could also, so that's what I would recommend him to do. I have a bunch of lectures about diabetes, insulin resistance and stuff, but that that's what I do. Minimize that dietary fat, walk a lot. A lot of times I'll walk while I'm eating. That dramatically lowers insulin resistance too. Because this idea of taking pills, man, he's screwing up. He's just going to get fatter and sicker, plug up all his arteries, trash his pancreas, and then he's going to be screwed. Yeah, I'm, I'm. hopefully they'll watch. I mean, you know, if, you know they're older. Um, vitamin D is something that I I've taken over the years cause mine was extremely low. It was like a level of six and I know it's supposed to be much higher than that. And another thing I've taken over the years is magnesium. Um, what, what are your thoughts on, uh, and B12, uh, what are your thoughts on, on the supplements? Well, basically if you look at the molecule of uh, cholesterol right in the center of it is magnesium and the center of chlorophyll is, is magnesium. So just eat plants. I don't think you need to supplement with magnesium if you just eat enough plants. Okay. Um, and then as far as um, the other thing you mentioned, you mentioned uh, vitamin D. Yeah. I would just try to get some sunshine. Just go outside, stick your back in the sun while you eat. Like what I'll do is let's say it's a hot sunny day. When I go to eat my lunch, I go stand out in the sun. And um, what they measure is like a vitamin, just like one hydroxylase and hydroxy vitamin D. It's actually dihydroxy. That's the active form. So I think the measurements are kind of overrated. McDougal in particular says that he never gives vitamin D to any of his patients. He said the only exception would be an institutionalized osteoporotic older woman who couldn't go outside. He says everyone else should get their sunshine or doesn't need it. So it's fat soluble. It can really persist a long time, a little bit. So I think it's kind of overrated, you know, because I know they scared everybody said, oh, you got to take vitamin D supplements. But what I'm basically saying is the measurement they obtain typically is not that useful. 
And I think the whole thing's overrated and exaggerated. Okay. What about uh, everybody wants uh, to be on B12? Do you think that's necessary? Well, I've had to take it. If I don't take it, because I'm 100% vegan now, I don't know, for a ballpark of about five years, uh, my B12 will drift down without it. Um, we used to be able to get it because it was sort of comes from the dirt, from the bacteria in the dirt. But nowadays, everything is sort of rinsed off. And so you don't get it from the plant foods. You'll get it from the animal because the animal has some if you eat an animal food. But I think it's best to avoid all animal foods 100%. I think it's good to look at animal foods, you know, like an alcoholic. An alcoholic cannot drink. You know, a former smoker cannot smoke ever. Uh, I think people get dramatic improvements in their health when they go like that. I actually think the way to think is biblical. Thou shalt not eat meat. Thou shalt not eat oils. And people say, well, why are you such a stick in the mud? Why are you so obsessive compulsive? You're crazy. You're autistic. I say, you know what? I want to be healthy. That's what works. Okay. I'm 59. Everything works with me. I'm happy. I'm healthy. I don't take any pills. I don't have any medical problems. Whereas I can tell you, most of the people my age, they're cognitively slow. They're overweight. They're hypertensive. They're diabetic or pre-diabetic. They're, they're all sick. And, and I'm like, you know, and also I say, well, don't you want to enjoy life? You're missing out on life. Don't you want some cake? I'm like, yeah, like, you know, having diabetes and being cognitively slow would make my life better. No, I don't I don't eat that stuff. I don't think humans should eat that stuff. Yeah. So you don't ever don't ever just have like even vegan cake or anything like that. You just no, I avoid. wouldn't. I, I wouldn't. You know, I, 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 I want to keep my arteries as perfectly clean as possible. And I don't look at it as a deprivation. I look at it as a privilege. And what I mean by that is all day long, I see people who are basically screwed. OK, nonstop. Stroke, stroke, diabetes, amputation, blind, heart attack, pacemaker, infections, spinal paralysis, all day long, disaster after disaster. And I'm like, thank you, God. All I got to do is eat low-fat vegan and I can avoid all this stuff. Great. It's a great deal. It's as good a deal as you'll get in life. So a lot of the, the raw vegans um, eat a pretty high high fat, but they all seem to be in somewhat good health. What, what do you think that would be the cause for that? Well, it might be that they're having a hard time getting enough calories so they can add some fat stuff in there. Me personally, I don't do that. I'm not a raw vegan. I probably get about 40% of my calories from, you know, fruits, another 5% from vegetables, and then the rest from starch. Um, so if somebody's only eating raw foods, in order to get enough calories, they might throw in a couple higher fat ones. Me personally, I don't do that. And it'd be hard to eat that much fruit. Um, you know, like I said, fruit, unless you get it frozen, it doesn't store that long. It takes some effort to get it. Yeah. I, I mean, I was, I actually, how I got started, I was 405 pounds. Um, and I went raw, raw vegan, but I was, I was eating probably about 120 pounds of bananas a week. And I still, I still go through about uh, 40 to 50 pounds of bananas a week. But uh, yeah, but then, but at one point I was losing weight so fast that I actually started adding fat in to try and slow it down because it was kind of freaking me out. But I, I some of the some of the raw vegans that I see, I mean, their entire everything they eat is is fat. And I, I'm just like, I don't think that's going to end up well. Yeah, I don't all. think that's a good idea. Our body, you know, has limited capacity to process fat. Uh, where I don't think, you know, I spent a long time studying, you know, the biochemistry of fat. And it's like it just causes problems in the human body. So. You know, sometimes people can get away with more stuff when they're young. The the body has more capacity to repair itself. The older you get, the more fragile you get. So, you know, one metaphor I would give is like owning your bar's like your body's like a car that you have to maintain the rest of your life. So you've been given a Porsche, okay? And then, you know, it makes sense. You want to put premium gas in it. To put the wrong food in there is just stupid. <laughs> and like, you know, why put regular gas in your Porsche? No, you take care of it. Yeah.
All right. Another thing that I wanted to talk about is I've seen you mention this uh, uh, several times is water. I get a lot of people asking me about distilled water, and I, I'm not a huge fan. I'd rather reverse osmosis. But uh, what is your thoughts on distilled water, reverse osmosis, uh, filtered? Yeah, if you if you take water, you, there's this thing called a TDS meter. Okay, let me see if I can put it close to me. So here's a pen. And you put that into the water. It's total dissolved solids. So number of particles per square centimeter. If you have tap water, it's about 500. Your blood osmolality is about 300. Not exactly the same thing, but for our purposes, close enough. Whereas if you use carbon filter, you're probably going to be in the ballpark of around 200. And what I'm saying is when you go reverse osmosis, now you're in the ballpark of about 10 to 110. And so the more you lower the particles, the more you have the potential risk of like an osmotic effect from drinking the water. So what I'm saying is distilled water is zero to two. It takes out almost everything. It's the most intense type of filtration. So if I drink that, I get a headache. Um, so what could you do? You could squeeze a lemon into the distilled water as a way to add some particles to it. That would be a reasonable thing to do. But also I know there's a real famous place called True North in Northern California. Yeah. And they have the patients drink distilled water. Plus there was a guy, I believe they do. I'm not sure about that. I've heard that's what I've heard. They have a guy by the name of Yeo Mamas. He wrote an entire book about water filtration and how bad he thinks fluoride is. And he recommends drinking distilled water. So maybe some people can do it, but I worry about causing osmotic shifts. Because if you look in the opposite direction, if you put excessive salt in the water and a baby drinks that, the baby dies, okay? What I'm trying to say is that's dangerous. So if you go hyperosmolar in the other direction, that could be fatal, all right? Yeah. So why would it be safe to go hypoosmolar in the opposite direction? I, It just doesn't seem to me like it would be, but I haven't specifically studied it because I have a reverse osmosis filter in my house. That's what I do for any of my drinking water or my cooking water. I have a whole house carbon filter but and an iron filter remover. But what happens is I um I have a, I have water on a well, so I don't have um, city water. I think city water is bad. Oh, I mean, yeah. average person goes, oh yeah, we want city water. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Stupid. They put a neurotoxin fluoride in it. Okay, you yeah. dumbass. It makes it makes you docile. It makes people passive, and it, 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 it's bad in every way. Yeah. I mean, they used to block, most countries used to block fluoride. Now, you know, everybody's, uh, everybody's dumping it in the water. So you really should watch something like that. Yeah, I think it's bad for fertility too. I mean, I actually, if you look at, if you look at the type of food the average American eats, it's like designed to make them infertile and stupid. It is. Okay. Why do I say that? Look at, look at processed food. The cheap protein comes from soy. It's estrogenic to predispose infertility, lower sperm counts. Processed with hexane, typically, to brain neurotoxin, okay? What's the other thing typically put in there? Corn is a sweetener, BT corn, another GMO food. Who knows what that's doing to your gut? Bacillus thuringiens is where it comes from. You know, it's an insect pesticide it's used to tear holes in the insect's gut, its stomach. So it's probably increasing the risk of allergies, inflammatory bowel disease, irritable bowel syndrome. And then the, the herbicide typically used on that is atrazine. That's a mitochondrial toxin, okay? It lowers cognitive function. It's highly estrogenic. It turns... Um, male frogs into females. Okay. So again, that's going to impair fertility. That's going to impair cognitive function, dropping your mitochondrial function. So you got three hits right there, three slow poisons. No, oh, it gets worse. The water, they throw aluminum into city water. The reason is even though it's a, a metal, it paradoxically attracts particles to it and makes the water look more clear. Mm -hmm. So even though the water is being polluted, it looks better. And so people drink that. And so now, and also that combination effect somehow the fluoride can form complexes with aluminum and 
more readily cross the blood-brain barrier. That's why if you look at psychiatric medicines, tons of them have fluoride on there. Like Prozox, its, it's real name is fluoxetine because it's got fluoride stuck on there. You look at the fluoroquinolone antibiotics used to treat CNS infections, testicle infections. Um, that's because they can cross the testicle barrier and the blood-brain barrier with all the fluorides on there, okay? It makes it less polar. So what I'm saying is all of this stuff makes you infertile and stupid. So it's not a good path to go down. That's why I try to avoid that path. Yeah. Another thing uh, too is I I, used, uh, I was actually going to school for electrical engineering. And if you take distilled water, it doesn't conduct electricity. And we're electric beings. And I don't think that drinking something that doesn't co conduct electric, uh, electricity is good to eat. I mean, that that was my rationale behind it too. There, there might be some truth in that. I, I don't know for sure. I do know there's work being done talking about deuterium in water, you know, which is like heavy water where there's uh, two protons instead of one proton, you know, in the nucleus of the hydrogen, I think. So I don't have much experience on it and I haven't studied it in great detail, but that's sort of a hot topic right now that I'm hoping to get around to studying in the near future. Because some people are drinking so-called deuterium depleted water, I, so again, I don't know about it, but that's that's something that's out there that's interesting. Uh, I wanted to touch back to the to the Asian uh, uh, culture because everybody that keeps telling me how the Asians are uh, not eating rice because it's giving them diabetes and everything like that, and I'm trying to tell them, I'm like, you really got to look at the Asians from uh, 1980s and and prior, basically. But what do you what do you say to people about uh, you know about that? Yeah, there's been a big change in the Asian diet since 1980s. They've sort of gotten more wealthy and more westernized. So they've been eating a lot more meat, more dairy, and more oil in their food. And that's why they're getting sicker. There was a, a Japanese neuroscientist by the name of Yamashima. And he came to the conclusion after extensive study, the reason why the rates of dementia are dramatically increasing, he said, is because they're eating all these omega-6 fats, the oils. And he feels that that is causing a lot of lipid peroxidation. In addition, the same condition that makes a lot of them unable to tolerate um, Alcohol, it's like acetaldehyde dehydrogenase enzyme in the liver. He says that same enzyme is involved in processing the omega-6 fats, and they don't process them adequately. And he says that leads to uh, a faster rate of brain damage uh, due to cell injury from lipid peroxidation and due to damage to their pancreas, uh, the beta cells of their pancreas. I actually think that's also why people from India have a lot more diabetes, it's like triple the diabetes rate that you would expect. And because I know a lot of Indians, they look skinny, they'll tell you, oh, I'm a vegetarian. But when they yeah. say vegetarian, they usually mean like a, like a lacto vegetarian. They, they have that ghee butter, yep. they'll eat dairy products, but then they fry lots of their food. Yep. And I think that fried food is what's making them much sicker than anyone would expect. Yeah, I, I think so as well, you know, cause I actually, there's actually a fairly uh, large Indian community here. And I mean, they just, they're, they're not that healthy most of the time. And when you go over there, I mean, they fry everything. I mean, it's, it's like a, 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 a class thing like the higher class you go the more you know you fry things and I, I i just think it's not great yeah here's what i think is funny you just said a class thing what's funny was there were some recent articles in like these indian papers and stuff saying the wealthier people get the more diabetes they get and i think that's what it is they're eating more and more fried food you know yeah. this, it's sort of like i don't know why people i mean well fried food tastes good you know like i can remember when i was young you know eat that extra crispy uh kentucky fried chicken or something but what that means is it's more likely to plug up your arteries probably also has more trans fats in it it's bad yeah 
Yeah, and you know, I also heard that uh, high protein is causing a lot of the dementia and uh, Alzheimer's and, and cognitive uh, disorders. You know, I, I, do you do you uh, uh, what do you think think on that? Well, I think the whole thing of protein is another typical confusion. Americans tend to always want the wrong thing. Like you ask an American, they think protein is the best nutrient. You got to get your protein. They think you need calcium to have strong bones. They think iron is good for you. They're all wrong. It's all bad. So basically. You know, a good thing to look at is breast milk. Breast milk has about uh, 5 to 6% protein. And that's the most rapid growth phase of life. And that's all the baby needs. We're never going to need that much protein the rest of our life. Uh, what's his name? Uh, Kempner was feeding people about 4.5% protein. Yeah. I've also read some studies where people were starving and they wanted to have a cheap diet to save starving people. And they would feed them 2.5% protein. The people did great. You really don't need much protein. It's impossible to be too low in protein. It really is. If you look at sweet potatoes, the Papua New Guinea eat 93% of their calories from sweet potatoes. They're only about 4.5% protein. I actually think that's the best food in the world. Out of all the foods in the world, of any category, sweet potatoes, 4.5% protein, 1% fat. The rest is all carbohydrate. That's perfect. That's perfect. Other than the fact that I can't stand them. But yeah, that 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 is perfect. I, there was a study done that a lot of doctors uh, go back to where they starved mice and rats. And they found that they lived longer when they did that. But then there was another Harvard study that I put out there that found that it wasn't really the the fasting and not eating as much that, that saved them. It was uh, not having as much protein and fat in their diet. And that when they fed the rats and the mice in the exact same study, only they did it with high carbs, that the mice lived just as, uh, actually longer and they didn't have any of the diseases that they thought that this fasting uh, was going to alleviate. Right, right. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. I agree with you. So there was a lot of data saying caloric restriction increases longevity. Tons of data. They'll even tell you that's the best known thing to increase longevity. But what happens is when you switch from a, a meat processed food diet to a uh, plant-based diet, you end up eating less calories. So you, you'll pretty much almost automatically get caloric restriction just by your, your hunger is satisfied with fewer calories when you eat starch. But then on top of that is the work, you know, coming out of the Harvard guy was James R. Mitchell, PhD. He's the one that he has a lecture on this on the Internet. Yeah. And he's a couple of them that, like you're saying, what he found was it wasn't just switching to plants. It was having the lowest possible percent protein intake. And, you know, I'm not sure what the mechanism was. I have a theory about it. mTOR, mammalian target or rapamycin, the building contractor that wants to sell to grow and replicate, it's activated by especially leucine. and so. There's a guy, T. Colin Campbell, he's a guy who writes about saying, oh, animal protein is bad, causes cancer, but plant protein's okay. And he would feed the mice, you know, even 10% animal protein, cancer, cancer, cancer. He'd feed them 20% soy, 20% uh, gluten or grain uh, protein, and he wouldn't get hardly any cancer. But here's my point. When somebody eats plants, they're not just eating one mono source of protein, like all soy, all grain, or whatever it might be. They're eating a whole variety of, of plants. So if you're eating something like a lot of beans, um, beans are 25 to 35% protein, uh, you're going to potentially get kind of high up in your protein numbers. And I worry, are you going to maybe get high in your leucine? Even though the beans might be relatively low in leucine, it's such a high amount of protein. So what I'm saying is there's something called the Hayflick limit. Your cell, the somatic cells of the body, you know, the non-germ cells like the, the, the gonads and sperm and all that, they can only divide 60 times unless they're a stem cell. And then they die. It's called the Hayflick limit. They go into so they usually call it senescence. So the more you activate mTOR, the faster you replicate those cells, the faster you hit 
your Hayflick limit of 60 cell replications before death. So what I'm saying is anything that activates mTOR accelerates aging and death. And the higher your protein, the higher, the faster you're going to be running mTOR. So if you're a 20-year-old bodybuilder, you want faster growth to get big and strong. But, you know, once you get done with your athletic competitions, you just want to be healthy. I don't want, you know, I don't want my prostate to turn into a cancer. Um, so I think it's good to minimize your protein. And don't be wrong. I still eat beans. I eat beans every day, but I try not to overdo it. Mm. They taste good. They kind of mix with everything. But my total protein intake is probably about 10%, maybe 9%. And I don't want it higher than that. Yeah, I wouldn't either. Um, now, uh, along these kind of lines, uh, everybody's going on these fasting, especially the keto people are talking about intermittent fasting, fasting for uh, days. What do you think? Uh, you think it's a good idea to start fasting? Well, I think fasting can be useful for making the transition from, let's say, eating processed food to becoming a vegan. There was actually an interesting guy. His name is Andrew Taylor. He's also known as the Spud Man no, the or the Spud Mr. Yeah. Potato. He's like from Australia or something. And he was really heavy. He was like in the 300s of pounds. And he decided to only eat potatoes as a way to overcome his junk food cravings. And he lost, you know, a ton of weight, like over 150 pounds. So that worked out well for him. But as far as fasting, my attitude about it is it can help you in that sense, like as part of an elimination diet and treating allergies or, you know, recovering from autoimmune disease or something like that. But sooner or later, you got to eat. So you're going to have to eat every day eventually. So you might as well figure out what to eat. And for example, currently I'm only eating one meal a day diet, one meal a day diet called the OMAD diet. I don't do it because I think it's so great from a health point of view. I just do it because it's convenient. If I have to work that day, it's convenient for me to just eat a big dinner rather than have to bother with breakfast or lunch. On my days off, I'll often eat, you know, a late lunch and a late dinner. But uh, so what I'm saying is that's a form of time restricted eating, if you will. But I don't I don't do it for health reasons. I do it for convenience. So. If you eat once a day, theoretically, most of the time, your your blood's going to be low in fat and your body's going to be in a so-called recovery mode. You know, I don't think it matters that much. I think the most important thing is that you eat the healthiest possible food, which is low fat, low sodium plant foods that are whole foods. None of this processed stuff. Uh, on that line, what do you think of people who only eat fruit, uh, the whole fruitarian uh, uh, crew? Do you think that's uh, going to end up well for them, or do you, do you think it's I think it's they fine? can do well with it, but it takes a lot of um, it takes a lot of effort to do that. Like there was a guy by the name of Michael Arnstein. He's an ultra marathon runner, yep. you know, and he moved to Florida. I'm sorry, he moved to Hawaii. He moved to Hawaii because you know there's tons of fruit; it's readily available to you. But I think for the rest of us, getting all that fruit is difficult. You know, and again, it costs a lot of money. It's going to cost way more than eating starches. If you could do it, I think I've seen a lot of people who are healthy and a lot of people who claim to be really healthy that are almost fruitarian. There's two guys called the Mastering Diabetes guys, and they claim to eat tons and tons yep. of fruits. You know, there's Freely the Banana Girl who eats fruits, 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 and Durian Ryder is a big fruit, fruit, fruit guy and some rice. So I think people can be healthy on that diet. I've heard of others doing that as well. And I think that. 801010 guy out of California does that. I forget his name. Doug Graham. Yeah, Doug Graham. And there's other ones. But, and Kempner would also give his patients fruits to supplement uh, what they had gotten in addition to the rice. And I think the reason he liked that was, again, fruits are quite low in protein. They're also alkaline. Um, and they're easy on the kidneys. And they got a lot of potassium, tons of potassium, which is, you know, vasodilator. 
Yeah. And so, so I think fruits are pretty good. I mean, I'm a, there's a couple of things I'm a little worried about fruits. What do I worry about fruits? Number one, we talked about the cost. Number two, you know, the apple, what the heck do they spray it? I don't even know. Okay. And I worry if that maybe has MSG in it. Cause I found myself when I used to buy apples, I very quickly eat 10 of them. I'm like, holy crap, why am I eating so many of these? Like to eat a potato, it takes effort. I have to think about it. Yeah. Whereas the apple, we should boop, boop, next. And I, I would finish the bag of 10 and want more. And I said, why am I so addicted to these apples? I worry about that. Plus, what is that spray material? It's a little thick. You can't easily wash it off. I worry, is that going to be absorbed in my body? Is that going to accumulate in my arteries? I don't know. And now the latest thing, they got this A-P-E-E-L thing. You know, this is a new coating that they're spraying on stuff that's mm. non-organic. Um, it doesn't sound like a good thing. It sounds like a bad thing, but I haven't studied it in detail. But everything I read about it implied to me, you don't want it. Yeah. And they're putting that on fruit, I guess? I believe so. That's sort of the new thing. that I just heard about that the last couple of months. And when I read about it briefly a few times, I just came up with one bad thing about it after another. But I haven't fully studied it. So basically only eat fruit that's in a, a, an appeal of some kind. Well, it's a fruit that you don't think they're putting that stuff on it. And I would, you know, try to eat organic, especially if it's if it's exposed to the outer uh, world. Um, and there's some fruits I just wouldn't eat. Like, you know, look at grapes. The coating is so thin. You can never wash it. Anything they spray in, it's probably going to be absorbed inside of it. So I wouldn't eat grapes, for example. Uh, I wouldn't eat strawberries because you can't wash them. Environmentalworkinggroup.org, EWG.org. They've got this dirty dozen list of the foods that you definitely want to eat organic because they're more likely herbicide, pesticide spray, and hard to clean, for example. Yeah, they they said if you if you don't have a lot of money, um, but you have a garden, and you want pesticides, go buy the 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 Steli or whatever that real famous uh, strawberry uh, grower, that huge farm. Go buy their conventional ones, blend them up in a blender, and spray it on your uh, your produce because there's so many pesticides on those things that, that you don't even have to buy your own. I mean, so that's something that you would definitely want to stay away from. But uh, do you think potatoes need to be bought uh, organically? Um, I don't know. I do buy mine organically. Just I tend to do that. If, uh, but I don't know. I don't know what they spray on them. Okay. And I, I think that's actually uh, about all the questions I had. Did you want to add anything to this that people might want to, to, to know? Uh, well, I can tell you what I think is a healthy diet. Yeah, go for it. Low fat, low sodium, 100% plant-based. Starches are the cheapest way to satisfy your hunger. Fruits are good. Throw in some greens to get the nitrates for making nitric oxide, vasodilators, plus they have a bunch of other nutrients in them. I recommend uh, all whole foods. The only thing I'll buy that even has a label on it would probably be like oatmeal. And I'll mm. only eat plain oatmeal with water. No alcohol, zero, not one drop. I don't want any MSG or anything like MSG. That's why I don't want two ingredients. The second ingredient, they can put MSG in there and not tell you. So I don't need anything that's got two ingredients in it. Oh, uh, wow. Yeah. And I'm pretty strict about this because I want to maintain good cognitive function. Uh, so no alcohol. I don't like any of these additives. I don't put any spices or anything on my food. I don't put any salad dressing. You know, I joke that salad dressing is for wimps or for pussies. You know, I'm kind of kidding, but it's like, you don't need it. And what happens, I believe, is when you become stoic, you become more resilient. And that's kind of what I want to do. I want to be resilient. I want to optimize my time and my ability for the things that I want to do. 
and I don't want to be distracted or pulled into anything else or waste my time or effort on anything else. So, uh, like I said, no alcohol, no sweets, no caffeine. I think caffeine is is bad for people. It basically mimics acute stress response. Everybody says, "Oh, I'm stressed out." Well, well, then why would you have caffeine? It it increases cortisol and the catecholamines, you know, adrenaline and noradrenaline. Those are the stress hormones. They make you sleep less well. They have a half life caffeine about six to eight hours. So even if you have it in the morning, some of it's on board at night. A lot of people say, oh, I'm anxious. Well, caffeine increases that. You know, that's like what stress, it increases that. So why would you want that? And then there's a lot of other chemicals in these preservatives of these processed foods. They're all really bad. Um, they have a tendency to inhibit mitochondrial function either directly or indirectly. So the way to be, I think is simple, like Adam and Eve, but keep indoor heating and plumbing. And that way you'll, that's what we're designed to do. You know, we got flat teeth, you know, the grind plant foods, they can jaw and go side to side. That's like a plant eating animal, herbivore. So yeah, I think if you do what you're designed to do, you'll tend to, everything will work better. You'll be happier. Perfect. The one thing I, I actually wanted to touch on, I completely forgot is cortisol. Um, sugar, suppose, you know, carbohydrates, lower cortisol. And I think people really need to look into that because I think we're all kind of living in that fight or flight uh, state of mind. And I think the more carbohydrates you get, the, the lower that's going to be. But what are, your, what are your thoughts with the cortisol thing? Yeah, I, I haven't studied specifically what sugar does to cortisol, but I've heard something along those lines that seemed encouraging about it. I mean, we're designed, I think, to eat these primarily carbohydrate foods, but I don't specifically know that issue about stress. But I think it's good to do all these things that relax our stress. And also, I'm kind of like an old-fashioned person because I think the old-fashioned way of living works better. You mm. know, I'm real simple. I believe in God. Okay. I believe in religion. And that's based on science. I think the younger generation's kind of been tricked into thinking um, a lot of this old stuff was bogus, but I don't oh, think yeah. it is. Yeah. Um, and oh, gosh, what else would I say? You know, simplicity works. Uh, it enables you to minimize your distractions and optimize the energy you have. Like I only pick a few things in life you want to do and do those things and you'll have your best chance of success versus I think a lot of people are scattered all over the place. You know, like with a cell phone, you should not be holding that thing up to your ear. Um, it can cause increased uh, mercury coming off dental amalgams if you got them. Some people are writing that they think it's an excitotoxin for the brain, increasing calcium release in the neurons, which is the same thing similar as the effect of caffeine, of MSG. And the more things you have doing that, the more likely you are to have impaired cognitive function. You know, cell phone in the front pocket, are you increasing your risk of breast cancer? Are you increasing your risk of heart disease? You might be. You put it in the front pocket. Are you increasing your risk of microwaving your balls and lowering your testosterone production? I think so. Like I'll see young guys lifting weights and they got their cell phone in the front pocket. I go, you know what? That's fucking stupid. And then the next thing, what does the young guy do? He takes his laptop and he sits with his laptop on his on his lap. They're right on top of his crotch. Well, that's also going to potentially have, you know, Wi-Fi typically is a low power microwave transmitter. So when you, you have that sitting on your crotch for hours, you're impairing your testosterone and your sperm production. I think that's a secret thing that people don't know that the incidence of infertility, it's much, much higher than is widely recognized. Um, and, and all this stuff contributes to it. Yeah, it a hundred percent. I don't think I could have said it any better. I think this, you know, th this interview uh, is is about uh, all, all, all I want to do for right now, because I think we'll get a lot of questions. Would you mind coming back on here? Oh yeah, my pleasure. I'd be happy to. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. And then how would, how do people actually find you? So let's go over your links here. Okay. Well, I've got a YouTube channel. It's uh Peter Rogers, MD. Um, 
that's probably the best thing to okay. go to that. Um, I've been on Chef AJ before. You can watch my videos over there. Yeah, I'll link that down below. Um, and so, yeah, you know, I do this as a hobby. I'm having a lot of fun with it. And the reason, too, was because, you know, I was a very sort of incredibly motivated guy. I, I When I was young, I was a really good athlete. I got injured. My athletic career got ruined. It was kind of like I felt like my life was ruined. And I was very sad for a couple of years. And it's sort of like I sort of changed myself. I sort of gave up after all these injuries on ever becoming a great athlete again. And I had this hope. Well, someday I'm going to be a great doctor. And I sort of did everything a person could possibly do. I was a workaholic and a half. And I was a little frustrated. Like I said, I'm in my mid-30s. I'm overweight. Both my parents are sick. I'm like, well, what the hell happened? You know, where does medicine stink? Can it just not do anything? And then I started studying all this nutrition and toxicology. I'm like, holy crap, this is where all the answers are. About 75% of disease, it's all caused by issues with nutrition and toxicology. It might be 80%. And I'm like, no one told me. No, it's not taught at all in medical school. It's a giant blank spot for doctors, completely, completely. And I'm like, this is where all the information is and no one knows it. And so I'm like, it's fascinating. And then I realized, oh gosh, I, at first I thought, this is great. I could save all these people, help all these people. I'm going to make a lot of money. It's going to be great. Everybody's going to really be so happy. They're going to love me. And then what I find out is all these people are like, I would rather die than stop eating meat. Yep. Don't you just have a pill? And I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? Okay. Yeah. All day long, I see all these people. It's awful. And I see every day a whole bunch of amputations, stroke, 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 heart attack, heart attack, surgical complications, infection, disaster after disaster, all day long. That's what happens in every single hospital in the United States all day long, in every Western country. People think that, oh, everything's okay. You're going to age okay. No, it's miserable. It's bad. And bad things happen to people who eat meat and oil. It, it's the truth, okay? Um, I could give a rat's ass. I don't care about animal rights, okay? Um I, I just want to keep my arteries open and be healthy. So this is what works. So I was all happy. And the more I studied, the more fascinating it was. Things start to all connect up. So I'm like, gosh, this is where all the info is. But I don't make any money from it, you yeah. know? Yeah. So I work five days a week as a conventional doctor. But I wish I could work in, in this uh, plant sphere. But there's no money in it. So yeah. I still do it, though, because it was sort of like this is what I kind of was looking for all these years. And now I finally found it. There you are. There you are. All right. Perfect. So um, I'll link everything down below in the description section. Thanks for joining me. I'm sure we're going to do another part of this because a lot of people have been asking me to interview you and I didn't get a chance to ask uh, them, you know, to have you ask questions. So thanks for joining me. My pleasure. And that's it. Well, thank you. Talk to you next time. Oh, and subscribe, all that good stuff to everybody.